Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the first season of Fluster Clucks, when we launched at the beginning of the pandemic as a mom's retreat. We're no longer stuck in our houses, but most of us feel stuck in our anxious patterns. I'm Lynn Lyons, an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. And I'm Robin, your co-host and Lynn's sister-in-law. Parenting is a Fluster Clucks. And we'll help you find your way. Back to school anxiety. Well, we started talking about it in a previous episode, but we're not done yet. There are so many questions and so many challenges this year, as we all know. We're taking more listener questions, and this time we're talking to administrators, school counselors, trying to figure out how best to bring our kids back into school and how to handle all of the worry and the uncertainty that this situation is bringing. And I've also got some advice for parents who are worried about their children academically. Are they falling behind? Are they able to catch up? And we'll talk about that. Hi, I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm a speaker and author and anxiety expert, a psychotherapist, and I'm here with my sister-in-law, Robin. Hi, Robin. Hi, Lynn. Here's our first question from our listeners. Hi, I'm a school counselor in an elementary school. The return to school has many parents, myself included, anxious. With that said, how do you suggest I coach parents on supporting students prior to the return date? We know kids are picking up their cues from the adults they're surrounded by, and many times those adults are unintentionally feeding student fears. How can I assist a family member and myself who's super stressed and anxious but is unwilling or unable to change patterns? Yep. So here we are, right? This is the... This is um, phase 972 of being in a pandemic, and it's kids going back to school and teachers and administrators in schools trying to figure out how to best help. The thing that, that strikes me about this, well, I'll sort of go backwards, right? So you say, how can I assist a family member who is super stressed and anxious and unwilling or unable to change patterns? I don't think that people are unable to change patterns if we can give them some help. And I think as we think about this, remember that little things matter. So it's not all or nothing. And if there are some small tweaks you can make in your responses with kids, those really do help. So I'll talk about those in a minute. So you have reason to be, to, to be hopeful and to be helpful, even if somebody feels a little rigid in their responses. Generally in August and into September, I do a ton of opening day stuff. And so sometimes I'm the keynote and I go and they want information about managing anxiety. Sometimes it's a more of a full day training, but normally starting in the middle of August, that's what keeps me really busy and keeps me on the road. I'm going to be on the road a little bit, actually. Some places in New Hampshire are having me come in live, but a lot of it is going to be virtual. And here's the thing. I am more booked this August than I have been because this issue of how do we help kids come back into school and also how do we help teachers and 
other staff and guidance counselors and administrators. Everybody's really worried about the emotional health of all the people that are going to be in the building. So I've been thinking about this a lot, and I've been talking about this a lot, and I'm going to talk about it a ton in the next three weeks, like hours and hours and hours. Here's what I would say. Kids at this point are anxious normally, and sometimes there's anxiety and nervousness plus the excitement of heading back into school. This year, there's not a whole lot of excitement that I'm hearing. The nervousness and the worry and the disruption have absolutely taken over the excitement part of it. So what we want to be cognizant of is how can we insert a little bit of that excitement back in? So if you've been listening to this podcast, and if you go way back and listen to when I was talking back when the pandemic started, I was really talking a lot about being playful and silly and creating moments of joy. Take that idea and think now, how are you going to create some really fun rituals, some really fun celebrations that are going to mark the beginning of the school year for your kids? And guidance counselors, school counselors, you should be talking about this with your parents, somehow conveying this information, because we're probably not going to have the at least in a lot of parts of the country, we're not going to have the get your first day of school outfit on and take a picture outside and then either drive to school for your first day or get on the school bus. A lot of that is going to be missing. So you've got to create some ritual in that. So I would still have kids have, like like some kids don't care. I had one little girl come to see me in her first day of school outfit for kindergarten. Isn't that so cute? She wore it to show it to me. I think that you should let kids get dressed up. And maybe it's they're going to get dressed up in a costume. Maybe it's that you're going to make them have clown faces. Maybe you're going to have a first day of school breakfast in your house. But you've got to have something that conveys excitement and positive anticipation instead of dread and worry and fear, because that's what they're picking up from us. So I would have parents talk to their kids about how are we going to make the first day of school, even if it's remote learning, how are we going to make this a fun day? Maybe you do it the day before the first day of school. There's got to be some demarcation and there's got to be some fun and there's got to be some excitement. The other thing to remember is that kids are listening to what we say. They're hearing us. There's a lot of conflict going on right now in schools and school districts about what it's going to look like and whether or not it's going to work and all of that stuff. Make sure, parents, particularly with younger kids, that you really pay particular attention, and teachers need to do this too, and administrators and everybody, pay attention to your catastrophic language Pay attention to the way you're talking about the future. I saw one thing recently, and this is completely in line with the way that I talk to kids about what's going to happen next, but talk to them about what there is to look forward to and talk to them about what it's going to be like when things go back to normal. It's okay to have them imagine that someday we're going to be back together with our friends, that someday you're going to be back in your classroom. It's okay to let them fantasize about that because that's going to keep them hopeful and moving into the future. And you talking in that way 
as if things are going to go back to normal, even though we don't know when, is going to keep their eye on the prize. We have to recognize that they are thinking about what comes next, and we don't want to be catastrophic when we talk to them about that. When you say use the phrase back to normal a lot, do you feel that there is any concern about setting up expectations that there will be some sort of normal coming because they don't understand the time? You know, we don't want to emphasize the uncertainty of the timeline, but if we're talking about back to normal, I could just imagine setting up expectations that school will be normal in a way that they know again. I would say it's not, it's going to be very different now. And we don't know when it's going to go back to normal. But I think when you talk about expectancy, one of the things that's really helpful for people when they're struggling kids and teenagers and adults, is something called positive expectancy, the belief that things will change. And so, for example, if you've got somebody who's feeling really depressed and you know maybe they're really suffering a, a bad bout of depression, it's really important for them to maintain a belief that things will change. So positive expectancy, and there's a ton of research on this, is a really important thing to keep people moving forward. So I would just temper it with, it's going to be different now, and we don't know how long this is going to last, and it feels a little uncertain, and we're going to have to be adaptable. But it is fun to think about what it's going to be like when things go back to normal, because eventually they will. So it's okay to plant that seed because you're, you're planting that little seed of hope, but, but temper it with, you know, we don't know when it's going to happen. Just be aware of that. And, and developmentally, you know, little kids don't have a sense of time. So it's sort of like, you know, you know the rule that if you're planning a surprise trip and it's a three-year-old, don't tell them a month ahead of time. They're going to drive you nuts. So for younger kids, you may want to stay away from that a little bit. But as soon as they get into like third, fourth, fifth grade and certainly past that, you want to make sure that you keep the hope alive and the reality of alive. We will, it will get back to normal. We just don't know when, but we don't want them to believe that this is how it's always going to be. And because it's been going on now for what is this month six? We don't want them to settle into this feeling of, oh, this is this is what my life is going to be like, because it's not what their life is going to be like just now. You can draw a little timeline. You can give them a visual. You could look at a calendar. But planting that seed about the future is going to be helpful. If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, the Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook. You can add events directly using the touch screen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows 
all family events together in one spot. The events are color-coded, so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up. So order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free apple that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. What are some of the other rituals or ways to mark that new grade that you're hearing families discuss? So one of the things that schools are trying to figure out, and this this has to do, well, there's a difference between schools that maybe are going into a hybrid model or some in-school learning versus schools that are going fully remote. My town actually just at 1235 this morning, the school board just voted for fully remote learning to start the fall. But thinking about rituals that help them move from whatever grade they were in to whatever grade they're going into. This is not as necessary for older kids because they get it. But for younger kids, what they missed out on at the end of last school 
school year were all those things that helped them move from second grade to third grade, like the move up day and the end of the year celebrations. So if there's in-school learning, one of the things that I would suggest to schools, which I'm going to suggest to schools, is that they have some physical movement from one place to the next. So maybe they start in their old classroom and there's a parade to their new classroom. And if you're if you're doing remote learning and so they don't have that ability to physically move their body, you may as a parent or maybe teachers can do this too, is be creative about how you can sort of put the end second grade or transition from second grade into third grade. So maybe you maybe you have two balloons and one balloon has a big two on it and one balloon has a big three on it. And so you pop the two balloons and you blow up the three balloons or you bake some cookies that are shaped in twos and everybody eats the two cookies and then you wait until the first day of school and then the next day you eat the three cookies. Some sort of playful, symbolic way that helps them move from one thing to the next. So anything that you can do looking at pictures, maybe you have them get dressed in their favorite outfit of second grade and then they get their new third grade outfit and you take a little video of them wearing their grade two outfit and then they run upstairs and they change and they come running back downstairs in their grade three outfit. Something that allows them transition so that they understand that movement because that's what feels confusing to little kids is that we've, you know, had this long stretch of them not really being able to demarcate beginning and end. One thing that I think comes up with certain friends of mine, but not all, it goes back to the helicopter parenting episode that we did, that if you're the kind of parent who places an extreme amount of importance around academic learning and academic performance, there's a lot of stress of falling behind. Yes. And I think we should talk about that because there is a lot of dangerous language that parents would be using about that in front of their kids, plus the reality of it. What is your take on the parents who are very concerned and very worried and very anxious their kids are falling behind? So the first thing I would say, and parents, don't be mad at me, you were probably one of those parents before the pandemic. <laughs> so you need to <laughs> you need to just tone that shit down is what i'm saying. <laughs> so and that's a that's a legitimate fear. So say, you know, you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, they're going to fall behind." Nothing that i have read, nothing that i have been looking at, nobody in my field who deals with children going back to school is saying that we need to focus on academics. Now that sounds a little weird, right? Because school is about academics. But if you want to increase kids' anxiety as they start the new school year, the way you're going to do that is if you start giving them assessments and evaluations and trying to figure out where they stand academically, that's going to raise the level of anxiety in kids immediately. What we need to focus on, and I think that that, as I said, I am seeing this everywhere, so I think we're all in agreement with this, is what we need to focus on is where are they socially and emotionally? What was the impact of what was going on for them while they were out of school? So we need to really focus when they go back to school, parents, the word that you need to have tattooed inside your eyeballs is connection. They need connection, connection, connection. So the teachers are going to try very hard, and I think they're going to really work 
work on establishing relationships with kids in whatever way they can. They're going to allow them to talk about what it was like with little kids, being able to do some expressive stuff in terms of telling stories or drawing pictures so that they get a chance to process what it was like for them. Some kids may have experienced some significantly difficult things that they're going to want to share and talk about. Parents, your child's academic status when they return to school is not the focus at this point. And if they are anxious, if they are overwhelmed by whatever this school year brings, if they're worried about all the changes and the things that they're have to they're going to have to be doing in school, they're not even going to be available for learning. So they're not going to be ready for academics until we address the social and emotional relational piece of this. So do not talk about academics. Don't bring it up. Don't make it an issue. I promise you it is not the thing you need to focus as they start this school year because there are bigger fish to fry. We need to take care of their emotional health and then we can get back into the academics. But no talk about it. It's going to be hard for you, but just zip, zip it. Don't talk about it. It's going to be okay. So, Lynn, the next question is really more about the wellness of our teachers who have such an unprecedented fall as well. And here's the next listener question. I facilitate the majority of our building-based professional development as I try to think about what the fall will look like, and I really can't. We have a few teachers we're really concerned about in regards to their emotional health and readiness for in-person instruction. My principal and I have discussed this at length. How do we address this with them gracefully without putting them over the edge and make them feel supported? We think they could really use some professional help. What can we do? We think we're unsure about what the fall is going to look like. They are really struggling as well. And remember that a lot of teachers are parents. So many of them are trying to figure out what it's going to be like for them doing their job and how are they going to manage whatever challenges come up with their own kids. The first thing is that if you think that some of them can use professional help, that it really is okay to suggest that. The biggest thing to teachers about this is to really normalize what they're feeling rather than pathologize it. Struggles are contextual. And to have an overwhelming sense of worry about what it's going to look like, if you are a teacher who is in a high-risk category, if you're a teacher who is new to the job and doesn't really have his or her feet under them in terms of teaching in general, this is a really stressful time. So I think it's fine for you as an administrator, as a support person to say to your staff in general, to your faculty in general, that if you are feeling a lot of worry, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety about what this school year will look like, you are not alone. That the ability to manage all of this uncertainty is bringing up many, many things for people and that here are some resources we have available to you. Perhaps you bring somebody in who will meet with teachers who are having difficulty to give them some concrete strategies. Okay, so say you brought me in as an anxiety person. I would, first of all, I would normalize what they're going through. I would ask them how it is that they are managing their whole selves, right, which we've talked about before. And I would I would 
introduce to them some of the really consistent and predictable patterns that we're seeing in terms of people's anxious thinking. So are they thinking catastrophically? Are they seeking certainty? Are they being really self-critical? Are they doing a lot of zooming into the future and creating sort of this narrative inside of them? I would normalize the physical symptoms that they might be feeling. So if they're feeling stomach issues, if they're having headaches, be able to put this in the context that this is a normal reaction to a very abnormal situation. And if they need more support, it really is okay to ask for it. There are some people who have anxiety disorders that are being put into this situation and it absolutely feels like too much for them. And it really is okay for you to bring that up in a way that feels supportive rather than feeling critical or you're not doing your job. That line that this is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation and that they're not alone may be able to have you open up the conversation a little bit more. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. When you were in the Facebook Live, you used a phrase, the worry rookies. Mm -hmm. And I think that there would be many school teachers who've always really loved and enjoyed their professions and the back to school time and might not recognize how they've been coping. Or maybe because the pandemic already has been with us for a while, maybe if there's a dread or a fear, Mm -hmm. it's been slowly building since last March. And it's finally here. And there are many teachers who are struggling to manage emotions that they have never felt with this intensity before. That's a really good point. And also the thing you want to 
talk to teachers about is that there's a lot of expectation that they're supposed to be, just like we were talking about with the kids, that they're supposed to be excited for the new school year and that this is a time that they're getting their classrooms ready and they're excited to get back in the classroom. And particularly, the the thing that I heard so much from teachers as this was going on in the spring is that they really missed their students. They really missed the kids. They really missed being in the classroom. I think that's a really good point, Robin. They may be feeling like guilty that they're not excited to go back or they have never felt this level of dread before that maybe they've felt like, oh, summer's over, but they, they've never experienced this and they're beating themselves up about it. Well, you've talked about this too in our earlier episodes when the pandemic began, that live in-person connection is simply different than what you do over a computer screen. Mm-hmm. And so I feel for the teachers also who are really fed by the energy that their classrooms historically brought to them. That could have been very much what kept them going. And there's a challenge now, especially in certain school districts where the teachers of the older grades might not know their incoming students right. because the schools are large enough. They have professional burdens that they've never dealt with before. Right. There was a phenomenal Facebook post. I think it was using uh, the Hunger Games. Did you see this from the nurses to the teachers? No. It's worth finding. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes, but it was just some nurse moms writing to teacher moms about how you are going into this and managing it and how to get through it. Mm -hmm. The nurses and the doctors and the other health workers, Hmm. you know, faced this in the spring and it was heartbreaking to read, but it was also filled with legitimate practical advice on transmission management and personal self-care management. Mm. You mentioned something that still stuck with me when we were talking last week that a lot of your parents have a lot of anger at the schools right now. Yeah. And and that just feels really misplaced blame. Maybe you could talk about that. It's true. And one of the things we know during times of stress, and certainly as I talk to families, there's a lot of emotions coming out sideways. So when people are worried and scared and they don't know exactly what's going to happen, anger and blame is one of those, unfortunately, is often the result of that. I have been talking to a lot of teachers, a lot of administrators, a lot of superintendents. They are trying so hard to figure out what's going to work. I would not want to be in their position at all. I haven't talked to anybody who said to me, yeah, no, this is going pretty smoothly. Or yeah, no, no, we've got this figured out. They are as concerned and feel as uncertain as the parents do. And I think that it feels good sometimes to be able to place your blame and to be angry and to expect that the schools are going to be able to have this figured out. They don't. They don't know what's going to happen. There are so many moving parts. They're trying to figure out what the difference is between little kids and big kids. They're trying to figure out the transportation issues. They're trying to figure out how they're going to feed kids that rely on school lunches, just as they had to figure out in the spring. They're trying to figure things out like vocational programs where hands-on learning is a part of it and they can't do that. They are working so hard to figure out how to make this work. And what they know 
is that they're not sure they're going to be able to pull it off because they don't know what's going to happen when kids come back to school. There are school districts that have said we're going to do in-person learning and parents are concerned about that. There are school districts like mine that just said we're going to go fully remote learning and parents are upset about that. There is no pleasing everybody in this because we're all scared and nervous and concerned about what it's going to look like, not only on the first day of school, but what is it going to look like in October? So if I can give one piece of advice to parents, if we're talking about what we want to model for our kids during all of this, empathy would really be a wonderful thing. And having your children see you put yourself in the shoes of the people that are tasked with figuring this out. So saying to your kids, this must be really hard for all these people, just like it's hard for us. We need to show empathy not only for ourselves and for the people that are trying to figure this out, but to model that for our kids. It is so easy to be angry and blame right now. That is a real common thing that's happening across our country. We've got a lot of anger, a lot of blame. Our kids need to see us working together. Everybody is trying. There is nobody who I have talked to who has said, yeah, yeah, well, we'll just see how it goes. They're working. They're trying to figure it out. And the other thing, Robin, that you said the word nurses, because you were talking about people in the, the front lines. Let me just give a shout out to school nurses. So if you've followed me for a while, you know that I love school nurses, that I do a lot of training with them. They're like my favorite people to train because they're right on the front lines of anxiety disorders. So I love working with school nurses because they're in the middle of it. They've got the tummy aches coming into the office. They've got the kids who are showing up because they won't go into the classroom. School nurses, I haven't heard a lot of people talking about school nurses. They are really concerned about how they're going to manage all of this. So if you could give a little shout out to your school nurse, if you could send them a card, if you could send them an email, if, if it is in-person learning, if you could send in, you know, a little package of cookies or bubble gum or something, they are really trying to figure out and predict what it's going to be like for them. Their role is critical in this and they're really nervous about it. Let's just be empathic as much as we can. I think that's a great idea. I actually was thinking about us suggesting that not just for school nurses, who I agree are amazing, but also I went to a, a Zoom of our school districts and I've never met our superintendent. And I could just tell as she was thoughtfully presenting a variety of scenarios and it showed even though she couldn't say she had all of the answers, it was, it was so evidently clear that she and her team were thinking through how to solve impossible problems. Mm -hmm. And they were doing it with leadership and creativity. So I was impressed. And I appreciate that maybe parents aren't impressed with the way their district is headed right now. But I sent a little note. This woman doesn't know me, but I appreciate what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to send the same note to our school principals and some of the teachers too. They need this right now in a way that they never have. Yeah. Modeling for our kids has never been more important. It has never been more important for parents to model for their kids the best in ourselves and what we want for our children. So show them how to do this. Show them how you step up. It, it's exactly true, Robin. They are being asked 
to answer unanswerable questions. They are being asked to solve unsolvable problems. They're being asked to predict the future when the future is uncertain. They're really trying. I was on a call yesterday with a superintendent and all of the counselors and the principals in a school district. They are working so hard to figure this out. And it's it's an impossible puzzle to solve at this point. So let's all just remember that and kindness goes a long way. It really matters. So one of the things we should think about is still making the most that we can for a back to school experience for our kids. Mm -hmm. As hard as this is, is to put some positivity and some enthusiasm. And I love your advice that it's not really about the academics. It's about the connection this year and to focus on that. And you were talking about even if it's a remote thing, put clown makeup on or to dress (laughs) up or something. (laughs) And I was just laughing because at our school, you know how there's different types of Spirit Day dress themes. We have one dress theme day called Fancy Dress Day. And our wonderful principal always has to leave with the caveat, be sure that your fancy dress is not distracting or unsafe. (laughs) So we always laugh at like, boy, little Johnny's tuxedo is so distracting. And little Sophie's stilettos are just so unsafe. (laughs) All right. So be fancy. Be fancy and safe, <laughs> which is possible, right? It's not That's right. Like, right. Yeah. So and, and have some fun, you know, and, and it, it just in terms of enjoying the rest of the summer and making some memories, it's not too late. Maybe everybody plan some special fun dinner or party or or picnic a picnic something have like a make your own Sunday party or picnic or something that remember our kids need to see us being joyful and they they see the stress on our faces they see our concern we need to show them that we're gonna be okay they need that from us they need joy they need laughter make it happen please make it happen Great advice, Lynn. All right. Well, Robin, until we meet again. That's right. Just a few more of our episodes of listener questions before we launch with our new season and our new name. Yes, which will be fun and fancy. (laughs) It will be distractingly fancy. (laughs) Distractingly (laughs) fancy. (laughs) I'm married for 30 years, but if I ever, for whatever reason, have to do some sort of online dating, I think I'm going to put that in my profile. I'm distractingly fancy. I was just going to say that those are two words that have been never uttered about you, probably. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, something to aspire to. All right. Bye, Lynn. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 